as part of the adoption network, uh, couples are encouraged to make a video that kind of introduces themselves and, and lets them uh, kind of show a little bit about uh, who they are in hopes that the uh, biological parent will pick them uh, to be the adoptive parent for their child. And, and so uh, what you just saw was one of those videos. There's a lot of them online. Uh, but this couple, uh, Katie and Adam, uh, made this video, and, and I loved what they said, and they chose to make promises to the expectant mother. And not only did they make that video, they wrote a letter, and I want to read part of it to you. And the letter starts off by saying that even as we write this letter, it is hard to put into words how much we admire you already. We are Katie and Adam, and we want to thank you for considering us as parents-to-be for your child. And while we cannot imagine what you're feeling, we do want you to know how much, we all, how much you are already supported and loved by us. And then they go on to tell how they grew up and where they grew up, and they tell about how they met each other, and they tell about their life and, and where they live now and things they enjoy. And then they conclude their letter with this. They say, we want you to know that you will always be part of our family as well. And we will commit to always speaking of you with love and grace as your child grows. Education, community involvement, and church fellowship are all priorities that we have when it comes to raising a child. But most importantly, we promise to always love your baby every single day and share God's love with them. It is a privilege to parent and not something that we would take lightly. We would be so honored to be your choice. You see, Katie and Adam, they make a couple of the promises to the expectant mother. And one of the promises that they make to this expectant mom is that we will always let you be part of our family. That when we speak of you, we will speak of you with love and grace. We will speak to you that, that there's this enduring kind of partnership that's going to be. That, that you will always be part of our family. And no matter what happens, we will always speak kindly to you. That, that when we speak of you, we will, you will know that, that we are speaking good things about you. And then they give this other promise to the mom or into the dad or whoever this child is going to be uh, birthed into. And he said, uh, or through, said that we are going to make this promise that we will always love your baby every single day. And they promise to share God's love with them. And so there's this enduring, consistent promise of love, even to a child they haven't met yet. And they, they haven't seen this child. They haven't met this child. They know nothing about this child. And even though they don't even know the parents of this child, they make a promise to these parents that we will love your child regardless. We will love your child consistently. We will love your child every single day. Mary, the mother of Jesus, didn't make an adoption pick-me video. And, but I imagine that if she did, she would contain some of the same aspects that that, same video, that, that video uses Hall contained. I imagine that if she made a video and she didn't, she didn't have to make a video trying to get God to choose her. We'll talk about all that in just a minute. But I imagine if she did, she would talk about the privilege of being chosen by God. I imagine that she would talk about the weight and the responsibility of being a parent. I imagine that she might make that same promise to love this child each and every day. You see, but the truth is that her promise to love the child is only because of the love that was given to her and through her to all of us. You see, for the past few weeks, we've been lighting these candles and we've been talking about these different promises that, that each one represents. And we've been talking about, uh, we've been looking at the Old Testament and each of these promises that God makes through the prophet Isaiah. And then we flip to the New Testament, we see how those things are fulfilled in Christ and how they're lived out through the people around the Christmas story. We started talking uh, about this, uh, this promise of hope. 
and how it was lived out through a guy named Simeon. Then we moved on to the promise of peace and, and how that was lived out through the shepherds. And last week we focused on, focused on this promise of joy and we, we saw how that was lived out in the life of Zechariah and how he was so overjoyed and so excited not to be uh, directly part of the Christmas story, but to be even included in, to be this, the father of the one who was going to lead the way to the Messiah. And so we're going to continue that pattern this week. We're going to look at Isaiah again, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, just one verse. And then we'll flip over to Luke's gospel again, the first chapter, uh, and we'll see how this is fulfilled and who it is being li- or who is living it out. So we'll see this fulfilled in Christ. But it's being lived out by his mother, Mary. And so if you've got your Bibles, um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And then, like I said, we'll flip over to Luke chapter 1 uh, and read a good portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 1. But Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this one verse says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And then we flip over uh, to Luke's gospel in the first chapter in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph in the house of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called a childless. Verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness in all the promises that you have made. God, we thank you for your faithfulness in this promise of hope. We thank you for your faithfulness in the promise of peace. We thank you for your faithfulness in this promise of joy. And God, we thank you and rejoice in this promise of love. God, a love that transcends even our most comprehensive understanding, Father. And so, God, I pray this morning, as we hear of your great love for us, God, I pray that we reflect it back to you. God, I pray that as we study your word this morning and we see how your love transpires and we see how your love is shown to us and, and the depths that you took to show us your love, Father. God, I pray that we respond accordingly. God, I pray the songs that we sang were not just songs on a screen, but they were words of our heart, knowing the great depths of love that you have for us. And so, God, I pray in this time together, God, that you will speak to us. God, I'm praying for those that are sitting here in this room and those that are watching online, God, who, who are feeling that they are beyond your love. 
God, I'm praying for those that the enemy is just closing in on them right now. And they're wondering where you are at. God, I'm praying for those who just feel a distance between you and them in this moment. And God, I pray above all else, you will speak to them through your word. God, that they will not just hear of your love this morning, but they will feel it in a mighty and powerful way, God. So God, I pray that you speak. And God, I pray that we are open to listen, not just with our ears, but with our heart and our very being. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, a lady named Courtney Erickson, uh, she wrote an article for a newspaper. Um, and in the article, she tells about a time when she was in middle school. And she says, that, and this was her words, that it was that awkward phase. And she said, I was living in this awkward phase and I had the new glasses and the braces that just went along with this awkward phase in my life. And, and it was just that, that time in her life. And she said, I was just new that if I could get the new clothes, if I could get the, great, the latest technology, if I could get a cool backpack, or if I could get anything that the cool kids had, it would make me feel better about myself. And this is what she thought. And so she did what some teenage girls do. She went and told her parents all the things they needed to buy her to make her life satisfied, to make her life feel complete. If you really loved me, you would buy this, and then you would buy me that, and you would get me this, and you would get me that. And if you really loved me, you would get me all of this stuff. And then like many of us who are parents, her parents looked at her and said, yeah, that's not going to happen. And she said, I honestly, to, to, my, to my discredit today, I honestly threw a full-fledged temper tantrum as a teenage girl. She said, I screamed at my parents, I yelled at them, I told them they didn't love me, I stormed up to my room, I slammed the door, I threw myself on my bed, and I just wept and cried and cried and cried, knowing that I was crying so loud they could hear me all the way downstairs, and they would feel guilty enough that they would buy me all the stuff that I needed them to buy me to make my life complete. And she said that, that I remember sitting on my bed and just crying and wishing my parents would just understand that wishing my parents would understand what I was going through and just wishing they would comply with all the things that I had told them. And then she says that I will never forget what happened next. She said, my dad, who I had just yelled at, came into my room and he sat on my bed and he explained to me that money wouldn't make a difference. That even if he could afford to buy me everything that I ever wanted, it would not be enough. And she says, I'll admit that at the time, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. That I was still mad and I still thought he was wrong. And I was still mad and upset and, and knew that he couldn't have any clue of what I was going through. And she said, and then I fast forward a few years in the story and I came to realize that he was right all along. Slowly, I began to realize that it didn't matter whether I had the newest and most expensive gadgets or clothes, that I had something far more valuable. She said, I began to realize that I had parents who took an active role in my life. My dad, even though he worked long and full days, he was diligently and frequently spending time with me and my sister. My mom was always present at our extracurricular events, and she would sit next to us as we practiced the piano, and she would give us help with our homework. She said, I grew up with parents that I knew loved me, not because they bought me stuff, but because they were there for me. They didn't have to buy me expensive toys to win my love. They did it through their actions. She said, I began to grow up, and I realized how valuable it is to have a dad 
who I just yelled at and didn't deserve a thing from, who would come and sit on my bed with me and just spend time with me. And she points out in her writing that this story is not to brag about her parents, but really to challenge parents and maybe think a little bit different about the things that we do with our kids. And she says the most important gift that any child can receive is the continual presence of his parents in his life. As parents, giving your time, your energy, and love to your child is one of the most important things that you can do. You see, it's something that in the midst of all this Christmas shopping and all the gift giving and all the planning that goes into Christmas, sometimes we forget that the most important demonstration of your love, the most important gift that you can give is simply to be there. To be present with who you love and with the people that you love and to spend time with them. And this is the lesson that Courtney Erickson uh, learned. And this is the lesson that God was really hoping the Jewish people would learn. You see, there's times throughout the history of the Hebrew people that they really honestly treated God kind of like this teenage girl that we just heard about. They really kind of see their outside circumstances and they really think God has no plan and no ability or He just doesn't understand what they're going through. You see, we talked about Isaiah and we talked about how he's writing in this difficult time. In Isaiah chapter 7, he's writing about one of those times where they honestly are kind of treating God as this teenage girl. You see, Israel is divided into two separate kingdoms at this time, and uh, there's the northern kingdom of Israel, and there's the southern kingdom of Judah, and that's where Jerusalem is. And the northern kingdom, the, the guy in charge of the king of it, he's decided that he wants more territory. So he decided he's going to take over the southern kingdom as well, and he's going to put his son in charge of the southern kingdom, right? So not only does he want more land, he's wanting more power, and he's wanting to make sure that his family has all of this stuff without having to give it up on his own. And so what he does is he gets some other kings. He gets a couple of the other neighbors uh, that are kings. And he says, let's go together. Let's, let's us three gather together and let's go attack Jerusalem. Let's go attack Judea or Judah down there in the south. And so as, they, as Judah and the king and the people of Judah realize this is happening, they become so terrified. They're, they're shaken. In fact, the Bible says that they trembled like trees of a forest, shaking in the wind. And what's beautiful in the midst of all of their struggle, and they know this enemy is coming, God has one response for them. And his response is, calm down. It's going to be okay. You just need to relax. And I imagine as I read those words, I imagine that the people of, Ju of Judah and the king of Judah, they kind of act like this teenage girl that we talked about earlier. And, and kind of the, this idea of God saying, just calm down. And yet their response is, God, you just, God, you don't understand. God, how do you not see what's happening here? God, you just don't understand. My world is falling apart. My, my world is about to come to an end. My world is about to be destroyed. And you're telling me to calm down. There's no way I can calm down in this. God, you just don't understand that I need something. I need something bigger. I need something more. I need something different. I just need something bigger. And God, if you, would just, if you just gave us a bigger army, then everything would be okay. And if you just gave me more troops, if you just gave me a bigger wall between me and this enemy, we would just be fine. And God, as this loving parent, walks into the room and he sits down at the end of the bed and he says, you don't need more stuff. You don't need better stuff. What you need to know is I'm right here and I love you 
And I will protect you and I will care for you. See, the message, that is the message behind the prophecy that we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that God is saying, listen, you need to know that I'm here and you can trust me and I'm going to prove it to you. And so in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. Now, many of you know that Emmanuel is a Hebrew word. It's a combination of two Hebrew words. Iman, which means with, and El, which means God. And so you put them together. And this is a beautiful word that simply means God with us. And as beautiful as that word is, it's only used three times in Scripture. Twice here in, in the book of Isaiah and once in the book of Luke where he's telling, hey, this is where this is fulfilled. And so we have this picture that this child is the very evidence that God is with us. That, that, listen, you don't need to be terrified of the enemy. You don't need to be shaken by what you see in front of you because what you need to know is that I am here. And what you need to know is that I love you. And what you need to know is that the love I have for you and the protection I have for you is stronger than anything that you can imagine. As long as I am with you, then you don't need to worry about these kings that are over here. They compare nothing to me. Now, if we're honest, I think there's a lot of us maybe sitting in this room, maybe watching online, that maybe we treat God the same way. Maybe we don't throw a temper tantrum like the teenage girl, but maybe if we're honest, we have those same questions. When we look out and all we see is an enemy coming towards us. When we look out and all we see are bad circumstances. And we, we begin to question, we begin to wonder about God's love for us. And we begin to wonder, does He really love us? And, and sometimes, if we're honest, we begin to look at other people and we begin to see the things they have in their life. We're like, man... God must really love them. Look at all this stuff. Look how everything is going great for them. And if God doesn't love them, then He doesn't love anybody. And maybe He doesn't love me as much because, man, my life is just not like it is for them. Everything is going great for them. They have all these blessings. They have all the stuff that I'm wanting and I'm wishing for. And maybe God just doesn't love me enough to give it to me. Or maybe it's the flip side of that. Maybe it's not that we, we see other people and their blessings. Maybe it's the fact that when we look around, all we see is not the blessings of God, but all we see is these bad circumstances, these things that are all around us. And we feel like our world is about to come to an end. We feel like the enemy is pressing in on every side. And we start to question God's love for us. And God, just can't I catch a break? God, you just don't understand God, in the midst of all of this, where are you? And why aren't you doing something to help me out? You see, his message to Judah and his message that runs through the Christmas story is this beautiful message that in the midst of all of it, when the enemy is pressing in on you, I'm right here. That I am with you and I came and I gave up the perfection of heaven. I walked the filthy streets that you built. I gave up everything for you. We just sang that song that told about the Christmas story and this child who grew up to become a man and this man who endured beatings and this man who endured all the oppression that was meant for you and me and this man who went to a cross and died on a cross. And he says, listen, if you need to know the depths of my love, you need to know that I showed up for you. You need to know that I didn't just give you what you wanted. I gave you what you needed the most. And he says, I'm here for you. He gives us this presence that is immeasurably more valuable than anything this world could offer us. Anything that we think this world will make us content. And he says, listen, this love that I have for you is being present. And there's no greater demonstration of my presence and my love for you than for me to be there with you. 
We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the God who simply spoke the universe into existence. That literally there was nothing. And one day this God who controls everything says, Let there be light. And there was. And let there be seas. And let there be oceans. And let there be dry ground. And let there be animals. And let there be a person. And I'll make this person. We forget that that's the same God who showed up in a manger scene to be with us. And we sometimes get so distracted Thinking, God, if you just gave me this, if you just gave me this, if you just gave me this, if I just had the coolest backpack, if I just had the the, uh, coolest gadgets, if I just had these new clothes, if I just had a cool car like my neighbor, if I just had a bigger house, if I just had more land, God, if I just had all of this stuff, I know that you would love me. And God said, what greater demonstration of my love do you need? That is not that that you needed. It's that I came. In the midst of you cursing at me, in the midst of you yelling at me, in the midst of you telling me that I don't understand how hard your life is, in the midst of you telling me how difficult your life is, and I just don't get it, I came and I laid myself in a manger scene. And I made myself so vulnerable that I had to be cared for by a mother I had to be carried around by someone else. I am the God of the universe, and yet I am here with you. You see, the greatest demonstration of God's love is that He is here with us. He could have given us any other thing in the world. He could satisfy every need that we think we have. And yet, what would it leave us? Just wanting more. But what we need most is a Father who will walk in the room and sit out on a bed with us. And tell us that I am here for you. See, but when we experience the depths of a love to that magnitude, we need to understand that it comes through a disruption in our life. That it's going to cause things to be different. You see, God comes into our lives. And He doesn't come according always to our plans. And to fit into our plans. Or He doesn't come to fit in this little box we designed Him for. He didn't come to show up on a Sunday morning and leave the rest of your week to yourself. And His love for us is so great that it changes the plans and it changes every aspect of our life. It disrupts our plans. It disrupts our attitudes. It disrupts our ideas. And it causes this personal disruption. And I'm going to say this, that if you've ever encountered the love of Christ and it didn't disrupt your life, then I'm going to question your encounter with Christ. And I'm not going to question your salvation. I'm not going to question your experience with Christ. But I'm going to simply say this. It is almost impossible to experience the full love of Christ, to know the depths of your sins and the lengths that He went to make your salvation possible and not to be disrupted by Him. You see, that's what Mary has to experience. See, the first thing we learn about Mary is what Luke tells us in this first chapter of his gospel. He introduces us to her and he tells us a few things about her in verse 27. He tells us that she's not married, uh, that she's never been married, uh, that she is engaged, but she's not been married. She's never been with a man. She's engaged to this man named Joseph. And he's of the house of David, which means he's a descendant of David. And then she starts to get some very disturbing news. And at first, it would sound like great news until you begin to realize the consequences that this news is going to come with. In verse 28, Gabriel greets Mary and he tells her to rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Or a different translation would say, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. 
And then verse 29 kind of shows the shock of Mary because I want you to understand that while we read this story every single year and this becomes so common to us, the fact that an angel would show up to speak to Mary is so uncommon. It's been hundreds of years since they've had an encounter with Christ, where they had an encounter with God. And all of Israel has been waiting for this Messiah to come. And in verse 30 or 29, Mary's response is deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then we look on in verse 30, and the angel tells her. And so Mary is, is like everybody else. She encounters an angel, and the first thing the angel says to her is, Hey, greetings, you're favored. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to harm you. And she's shocked. She, you would be shocked too if an angel, it doesn't matter what you think of an angel looks like, you would be shocked if all of a sudden he showed up. And she's terrified. And then he starts to give this message that shows the depths of God's love, but is so disruptive to her life. And the angel told her in verse 30, the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Read on verse 31. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. I imagine that Mary, being engaged, being a young teenage girl, being engaged was so looking forward to that day. And almost every bride-to-be is so looking forward to that day. And, and I, I begin to go back and kind of see some of the weddings that I've done and couples that I have counseled with. And, uh, and I begin to, to kind of rethink through some of them this week. And, and every one of my sat down with, I just sit down with them, and you can almost see the excitement as they, they start to tell me about their story. And that's usually one of the first things I ask them. Tell me about your story. Tell me about how you met and, and what brought you from that point to this point. And, and you can almost see almost every single couple, especially the ladies, they get so excited telling you about their first time they met. And they get so excited telling you about their, their first date together. And they get so excited telling you about this is the time. And they're ready for it. And then we start working into what do you what are you looking for on this date? Like what do you picture this date being? Are you picturing small? Are you picturing large? And they they tell you all the details, and, and some of them tell you like every single detail. Like this is the shirt you're gonna wear, and even though the month though it's like six months from now, this is the tie that I want you to wear on this date. And I'm like, nice to meet you too. Um, and then there's some that that like, hey, we don't have any plans. We're just ready to get married. But I've never had a couple come and sit in my office who wasn't excited about getting married. I've never done premarital counseling with a couple, and I'm like, guys, why do you want to get married? We don't. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, if you're ready to be in that stage, if you're engaged, then you're there, and you're excited about it. And as the day gets closer, even though there's chaos and there's, there's all kinds of madness that goes in there, and you guys that are married, you know there's, there's madness built in to those days leading up to it. But there's this excitement that this is coming, and I'm going to be married to this person. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. And I imagine Mary being this young teenage girl, she's feeling this same excitement. And this engagement has probably lasted probably almost a year. That's kind of their normal time frame. And every day, I don't know if she has or not, but in my mind she does, she has this little calendar that she's marking off the days and she's just so excited because she can't wait to be with her husband, Joseph. She can't wait to start this family. And she can't wait just to have her, her own little house and her own little white picket fence with chickens and the, the dogs running around. And that's the Michael Rakes version. That's not in the Bible at all, just so we're clear. Don't read that in there. Um, but she just, can't, like, this is, she just wants what everybody else wants. And she's so excited about it. And all of a sudden, Jesus 
or, or the angel shows up and he says, listen, Mary, you're going to have a child. And she's like, yes, I've been so excited about that day. And, she's in, and the angel's like, yeah, but it's going to be a little different than you expect. It's not going to be Joseph's child. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a second. Like I had, I had this all planned out. I had life centered. I had everything planned out. I had it all straight. I had this was going to happen. We were going to have these colors at our wedding. This is going to be my bridesmaid. And then we were going to get married. We are going to build our house. We were going to wait two years. Then we were going to have a kid. And then we were going to have two more kids. And we are going to name them this and this. And then we are going to have... Like, she had it all planned out. And then all of a sudden, this angel shows up. And he says, no, no, Mary. This is God's plan. This is what's going to happen. You're going to have a child. But it's not going to be Joseph's. And I want you to understand that in that moment, life changed drastically for Mary. Because in that moment, she had to realize that life looked very different for her. That, that for her to go through with this, for her to be submissive to this, for her to allow this to happen, and for her to be chosen in this, meant things were going to be difficult for her. You see, all of a sudden, she's going to have to walk up to this man that she's engaged to, knowing that she hasn't been with this man she's engaged to, and she's going to have to look at him and say, Hey, I've got some news. I'm pregnant. And it's not yours. And he's going to be like, Obviously, it's not mine. Whose is it? And she suddenly has to explain this encounter with Gabriel. And understand that at this point, Joseph has some choices. He could, he could have her stoned because she's been unfaithful to her. That even in those days, when you were engaged, it was seen as legally committed to marriage. That you couldn't, you couldn't cheat on him. You couldn't do any of that stuff. And so he could have had her stoned for cheating on him. He could have simply said, no, I'm done with you. Go back to your dad. And this whole thing is over with. And by the way, nobody else is going to want you either. Because you're unfaithful. He had the option of stepping up and saying, hey, yeah, it's mine, and bring shame on himself. But it wasn't just him, and it wasn't just her. It was the whole family. That all of a sudden, there was going to be all of this shame to her and to her whole family. How could you let your daughter do this? How could you let your daughter go and do this thing that she's done? How could you cheat on someone? How could you spend this uh, time with somebody else that you should have been spending or preparing for How could you do this not just to Joseph, but to Joseph's family, who is going to welcome you as part of their family? And all of a sudden, her life is completely disrupted. Her whole plan and strategy has changed. Everything about her life is going to be different from this moment on. You see, there's this, this wrong picture of what it means to be loved by God. Because what we tell ourselves and what culture tells us is that God loves you exactly like you are. Can I tell you, that's true. God does love you exactly like you are. But can I tell you the rest of the story? He loves you beyond where you are. He loves you further than where you are. He loves you enough to want what's best for you. And what's best for you is not where you are at right now. And see, what Mary has to learn in the difficulty of this story is that Mary has to learn that the depths of God's love changes who we are it changes the plans and we can lay out every plan that we ever wanted and lay out everything and all of a sudden we have this encounter with god and god says no this is your plan this is your life and all the dreams that you had this is most important you see this is what i said to encounter the depths of the love of god 
will cause you to want to change and do what He calls you to do. This is the story of Mary. This is how she encounters the love of God. This is how she realizes the depths of love of God will not leave her in her current situation. It is disruptive to her life. The, 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 what society will tell you and what other places will tell you is you just accept Jesus and then you live life like you've always done it. You just come, you pray this prayer, and you say this, and you say, yeah, I love Jesus, but Jesus can't touch any other part of my life. I've never been pregnant, but I can tell you that I've been married to a lady who's been pregnant three times, and there's not a part of your life that pregnancy doesn't touch. Okay, Every part of your life, it touches. Physically, mentally, emotionally, your house completely changes when you are pregnant. Right, And if you're the husband of someone who's been pregnant, you know that it changes every aspect of your life. You see, the story and the depths of God's love is to come into your life and change every aspect of it. There are no off-limit aspects to the depths of the love of God. There are no times, well, hey, God, I'll give you Sunday morning, but I'll take Monday through Saturday. Those are my times, and Sunday morning's your time. There is no difference between what you give God and what you don't give God. The depths of His love says it's all His. And if it interrupts your schedule, and if it interrupts your lifestyle, if it interrupts what you're doing, then it is what it is because the depths of His love want what's best for everyone. You see, Gabriel's message of love, it's not just personally disruptive, it's also politically disruptive as well. You see, even in the days of Jesus, the, the people of Israel were under Roman authority. And there were some political factions, believe it or not, there was political divisions 2,000 years ago. I don't know if you know that or not, but there's always been. But 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, there were these political factions, these different groups. And one group said, hey, listen, the Romans are in charge. And if we want to be prosperous and we want to endure and we want to survive, we need to be like the Romans. And we need to hang out with the Romans. We need to be friends with the Romans because they're the powerful ones. They're the rich ones. They're the ones in charge. And so we need to be like them. We need to assimilate in their culture. We just need to be part of who they are. And there's this other political idea, this political strategy over here that says, no, no, you need to understand the Romans are not the answer to your problems. The Romans are the problems. They are these occupiers. They're the military force that came in and is controlling everything. And instead of buddying up to them, we need to kick them out. We need to recapture our national identity. We need to recapture our national heritage. And what's most important for us is we need to capture who Israel is and get rid of everybody else. And then what we find as we read in this passage is that God's message of love and the story of Christmas has a very different message for us. I want you to read with me in verse 32 and verse 33. In verse 32 it says, He will be great. This is the angel talking about the child. He will be great. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give Him the throne of His father David. Verse 33, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and His kingdom will have not or will not end. You see, His love is preparing us for a kingdom that doesn't end. You see, our loyalties are not to the kingdoms and the nations of this world. Our, our loyalties and our citizenship do not belong here. You see, the Christmas story reminds us that the love of God transcends all that we know here. The first thing that we belong to Him and to His kingdom. And love disrupts the, this political idea that we need to be with those who are in power. Love disrupts this political idea that says what's most important is your national identity. What's most important is who you belong to and where your national citizenship is. I'm going to be honest with you right now. 
It is, it is everything I can do not to be watching the FIFA World Cup today. All right? And I can't watch it because it's happening right now. Don't be checking your phones right now. I know, I know all of you are soccer fans and you're just waiting. Some of you are watching it online right now. I'm just kidding. But listen, one of the beauties of the FIFA World Cup is that you have to be a nation, you have to be a citizen of the nation. They've got all these rules. And so there are people, there's a guy playing today who is playing for the nation of Argentina because that's his nationality. That's where he came from. But you know where he spent the last four years playing? In Europe. Making millions of dollars in Europe. But when it's FIFA World Cup time, when it's time the whole world, every four years, puts on the best of the soccer in the world, comes together, and some of you are like, I didn't even know this thing existed. All right? It's okay. We'll talk later. I'll pray for you later. But listen, when the best of the world puts all of its best on display, you know what this guy does? I'm not European. I'm Argentinian. And I'm going to go play there. And another guy who plays in Europe and is making millions of dollars. Next year, he'll be playing in Saudi Arabia and making $75 million a year. He plays for Portugal. He's played in five World Cup tournaments. You know how many he's won? Zero. But he plays for his home country because his identity is his home country. I play for Portugal because I'm Portuguese. And that's what matters most to me. You see, but the message of Christmas... It's not that you're Portuguese or Argentina. It's not that we're Americans or North Carolinians. The message of Christmas is that we belong to a kingdom that goes above and beyond all of this. That we are invited to this kingdom that does not end. That we have a citizenship in a kingdom that doesn't, in, doesn't have an end to it. You see, all of the nations that have come before us, they've all fell in one way or another. And so what is important is not our national identity or our national heritage. What is important is that we belong to the one who sits on the throne and the one who has our citizenship in heaven in a kingdom that will not end and see the depths of the love of Christmas goes beyond this idea that you're an American first and a Christian second I'm going to get in trouble here but let me be honest with you the word of God says that you're a Christian first and maybe an American second the word of God says that our identity is in Christ and the one who sits on the throne for all of eternity and if America falls it doesn't change where I belong for the rest of eternity. America doesn't need our identity. It doesn't need us. We need God as our, our identity. We need Him as our citizenship and our kingdom that endures forever. And then another aspect of Mary's story is that as she hears these words of April uh, of Gabriel, she starts to say, hey, there's, a, there's this slight little problem with this plan. And she begins to see obstacles to this plan of God. There's this big excuse she has to the story that God is weaving in her life. In verse 34, Mary asks the angel, she says, how can this be since I haven't been intimate with a man? She says, hey, Gabriel, listen, this is, this is a great story and I, I love where you're going with this and one day this is all going to be true, but for right now, this is not possible. The, the, this isn't going to happen because I, I haven't haven't done the things that are normally required to have a child. And so this story that you're weaving must be for later because it can't be for now. And the angel replies to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. In verse 35, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. You see, the love of God looks beyond the excuses and He looks beyond the impossible. He even offers this example. He says, listen, if you need an example of how the love of God can span over what you think is impossible, he says, your cousin Elizabeth, 
She's old, right? And that's the word he uses, not me. She's old. She's beyond childbearing years, and guess what? She's six months pregnant. And you think that there is impossibilities with God? You need to go visit your, your, your relative Elizabeth. And then he gives verse 37. In verse 37, it says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Can I tell you that there are so many people who know that verse, for nothing is impossible with God, and yet they've never put it in the context of the Christmas story. They've never put it in the context of this virgin giving birth. You see, love says that it doesn't matter what you think or what you say is impossible. Love doesn't say, doesn't say we can't do that. Love says that it can be done, and God will do it, that it is not impossible. You see, love says that, that when you look at an obstacle and you say, hey, we can't do this. The answer of love is we can do this if. We can do this if this will happen. And love of God shows us that, that not that things are impossible, but anything is possible. And even this story is possible if God is the one in control of it. You see, we serve this God who is big, and we serve this God who is massive, and we serve this God who looks beyond the excuses and anything that we can think up or dream up as reasons why it cannot happen. And God reminds us that it is possible. And see, for some of us sitting in this room, We've listened to these lies for our whole life. We've listened to these lies and these excuses. The enemy has tried to tell us that God doesn't love you. We've listened to these lies throughout our whole life. It says God knows what you've done. He's seen all the things that you've been hiding from everybody else. We've heard these stories and these lies for our whole life. How do you think this perfect God could love somebody like you? He knows what you've done. He's seen what you've done. He's seen the number of times you've done. God knows every time you came up to this altar and you said you would never do it again and you walked out of this church and you did the exact same thing the very next week and you came back and you said, I'll never do it again. You walked back out and you did the exact same thing. God knows every one of those times and you think that God would love you? You know, for us, that sounds impossible. But the story of God's love is that He's with us. And the story of God's love and reminded of is that look beyond those excuses. Look beyond the impossible because we serve this God who says nothing is impossible for you. And when the enemy tells us that God cannot and will not forgive you, we simply need to be reminded that nothing is impossible. And the depths of His love says, this is how much I love you, that I would give everything to forgive you, that I would give up the perfections of heaven, I would walk the filthy streets, I would have nails driven in my hands and to my feet, and I would die in the most painful death that you can imagine. Why? Because nothing is impossible. And that is the depths of my love that I would love you even to the depths of the things that you don't think are possible. This is how far I will go to show you my love for you. And then finally we come to the last part of our story and it's Mary's response. She's come up with this excuse and God says, hey, there's, there's not an excuse I can't overcome. There's not a place that my love cannot reach. There's not a place that is off limits to me. And so we simply see her submission and we see her reflecting God's love back to him in her submission to him. You see, our love is reflected not in what we say, but in the actions we take. I want you to look in verse 38. In verse 38, we'll finish with this. She says, I am the Lord's slave, or a different translation, I am the Lord's bondservant, said Mary. May it be to me according to... To your word. And then the angel left her. Do you hear the beauty of her response? God, this, is, this can't happen. Yeah, it can. 
God, there's no way you could love me. There's no way you could, you could have this experience. Yeah, I can. There's no way that you would love me and the sinful nation and the sinful world this much. I do. Well, God, if you love us that much, then here we are. Here I am. And I fully give myself to you. And notice the word she chooses to use. The slave or the bondservant. She doesn't say, hey, Lord, I'm here and I'm your buddy and I'm just ready to show up. I'll be your wingman anytime you need. She says, I'm fully submissive. I give up my will. I give up my plans. I give up my desires. I give up all of this stuff that I thought was best for me to seek what you have for me. God, I'm fully trusting in your word. I'm fully submissive that your word is true. And what your word says is going to happen. I am the Lord's slave. Here I am. Let your word be true in me. And I wonder how many of us have come to Christmas with this as our attitude. I wonder how many of us have come into church or watched and joined online this morning and we've experienced the depths and the love of God and we've experienced the depths and the love that Jesus gave for us. We experienced all that Satan said was impossible and we've seen it all come to fruition and yet what is our response? That's a good story. That was a good service. We sang my favorite song today. I'll see you next week. Maybe. It's Christmas. I probably won't be here, but it's nice thinking that way. No. You see, the story of Christmas and the beauty of Christmas is that we get to reflect the love that has been poured out on us back to Him. And we get to reflect it back, not just in saying, hey, that's a good service, but we get to reflect it back in here I am. God, use me. Let me be part of what you're doing in this world. God, let me be part of building this kingdom that does not end. Let me be part of the story of the gospel that's spreading around the world. And for you and me sitting here in this room, for you and me that are watching online this morning, our story should be the same. God, thank you for letting us be part of this beautiful story and this beautiful love that you have to share with the world. God, whatever you want me to do to be part of spreading that kingdom, here I am. I am your servant. Use me however I can be used. Let's pray together.